Coming up this week, off screen. Paddington's back. We've only got room for the brave. We learn about the Florida Project. We meet Professor Marston and the Wonder Women. There's some fireworks. Toby Jones has a kaleidoscope. And Shakespeare has a Caribbean dream. All those to come and more, off screen. This is... This is off screen. Off screen. Latest film news and reviews. This is Offscreen, the on-screen radio show. Welcome to Offscreen, I'm Van Connor. And I'm John Coulson. Thanks for stepping in for, unfortunately, very ill Mr. Allen this week. No worries, no worries. Um, I, I, I got to uh, to see him and his beloved wife this morning, and uh, you remember that beginning scene from Outbreak? Oh, wow, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> kind of like that, only without the monkeys and the bomb. Okay. You know, kind of like that. <laughs> Poor guy. Get well soon, Mr. Allen. Get well soon. <laughs> so, before we get to uh, the, the film news, the reviews, box office top five, all of our many competitions and plugs and all the fun, you know, the usual standard yeah. fun. Uh, we need a piece of film news to get going with. So, uh, what you got for me? What, what should we talk about first? I've got, I've got two for you. Okay. Go so, on. we've got one where um, Disney trying to take over the world. Well, we know, yeah, that's, that's nothing new. I mean, a house of mouse will soon dominate. They will stick giant mouse ears on planet Earth so that when the aliens arrive, <laughs> they will just see Mickey's silhouette from space. Do you remember when the Star Wars thing came and they put the mouse ears on the Death Star? <laughs> <laughs> no. Genius. <laughs> uh, yeah, so um, Disney have, have apparently been having talks with 21st Century Fox, which is the, the non, which is actually the fiction, the narrative fiction wing of 20th Century Fox, to buy all their properties. Wow. Right, which is like this is basically a mega deal. This isn't just a deal. This is a mega merger. Yeah. Well, not even a merger. It's just an acquisition, a mega acquisition, as you will. The, the word mega is involved, but <laughs> and uh, the reason this is a big deal is because you think about the things this would mean Disney would have. Yeah, Disney would own, for instance, The Simpsons. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So the Simpsons would would become part of the Disney family. Um, they would own the Ice Age series. Wait, did that mean that the Simpsons rides and stuff would have to move parks? A different different thing with theme parks because, oh, for instance, there are Marvel theme uh, Marvel rides in Universal, for instance, because of a, an older deal. Oh yeah, good you show. know, and Avatar is a Fox property that's in Disneyland. So you know, all right, cool. yeah. Um, so the whole thing, you know, they, they got this whole thing now where they could they could own the Simpsons, they could own Ice Age, they could own you know, uh, not not Shrek, not Puss in Boots. What is it recently? We had one recently. Weird one. Like things like Captain Underpants, stuff like that. Um, but like franchise stuff, they'd have Alien, they'd have Die Hard. You know, these are the things that Fox would have, would have to give over as part of this deal. And most notably, all of their Marvel properties. Well, yeah. So, you know, the ones that Disney and Marvel Studios have been able to, you know, have not been able to go anywhere near. Things like the X-Men yeah. and things like, you know, the Fantastic Four, because Fox did wonderful work with that. I mean, yeah. I, I was tremendous. I, I, I tip my hat to them every time for that. Twice. But, uh, <laughs> twice, yes, twice. I mean, I'll, I'll make an apology for Rise of the Silver Surfer, but you know what? No, there's no excuse for Josh Trank's abortion of a film. But, uh, no. Okay, so, um, yeah, apparently it, it's on again, off again. It's currently off as of about two days ago, okay. but it could be on again soon. Because that's how off again, on again works. That's how it works. <laughs> that That's exactly how it works, as an ex of mine will attest. So, <laughs> in the meanwhile, what else we got in the news? What else is there? Uh, so, one that you will want to talk about a lot is Joe Johnston to retire. 
No, Joe Johnston is he's one of the great directors sort of around. He's so unappreciated as well. He uh, He's one of the old... He was a protege of George Lucas back in the original Star Wars era. Okay. And he, he came up as like a visual effects guy. And then towards the end of the 80s, he started directing movies himself. Okay. So he came up with things like The Rocketeer and Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Oh, quality. <laughs> exactly. Like, really good movies. Yeah. And then, and then this went all the way up to things like Captain America, the first Avenger, and he did Jurassic Park three in the meanwhile. And yeah. And then, of course, um, there's the fact that Joe Johnston, because you just had a picture of him up. Yeah. I've never seen a picture of Joe Johnston, um, in which he doesn't look like he wants to tell some kids to get off his lawn. <laughs> really? He, that's how he looked. He really does. He really does look like some punk kids are on his lawn. Well, to be honest, if he retires, that's what he'll be doing. Well, I asked Case about it. Why does Joe Johnston always look like he wants those punk kids to get off his lawn? And his response is, if you didn't get to make a sequel to uh, to The Rocketeer either, you, you'd be that way. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, but yeah, he's doing the reboot of the Narnia series at the minute, uh, right. The Silver Chair. And he said that that will be his last film as director. He might produce. I could imagine he would. Yeah. But uh, yeah. But anyway, he's such a reliable effects guy that when Spielberg said he wasn't coming back to do a third Jurassic Park, he's like the first guy they called. Oh. Yeah. No, completely makes sense, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. 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 So, okay. So, uh, should we do the first review of this week then? And it's a doozy. Okay. Okay, Paddington 2. <laughs> right. Are you a fan of the first one? Did you see the first I one? I never saw it. You never saw it? Okay, Didn't can I suggest it. you absolutely watch the first one? Really? Because it's such a cute, charming, adorable family film. It okay. really is. I loved the hell out of it. And then, of course, they've made a sequel. And they took the stuff I loved about the first movie, and they added a bunch of stuff from other movies I love, and they made a movie I love even more. Right. So it sets an undisclosed amount of time, maybe a couple of years, might be real time, after Paddington. So Paddington Brown is now living with the Brown family, okay. you know, in uh, Windsor Gardens, and Daddy's Hugh Bonneville, the mum is Sally Hawkins, the grandma is Julie Walters, there's two kids, Peter Capaldi is the cratchity neighbour, you know, and uh, and he's basically, he's become a bit of a Jack the Lad type. Okay. He's a bit of a man around town. He walks down the road and he tells you, oh, don't forget your keys, you've left them in the house, and then the guy just manages to avoid being locked out. He's like, don't forget your lunch today to the old lady who remembers her lunch, and he helps everyone, just inst- because that's just how he is. He's because Paddington guy. is just a lovely guy okay. who helps everyone that he encounters. And it's it's coming up to his Aunt Lucy's 100th birthday, and his Aunt Lucy's the one who raised him. Okay. And he wants to, she's in the uh, the care home for uh, for elder bears. Uh, back in the Amazon, and he wants to send her the perfect present for her 100th birthday because all she ever wanted with her life was to see London. And he finds a pop-up book, a one-of-a-kind pop-up book that perfectly depicts London, and he decides, I'm going to save up the £500 it's going to cost for this one-of-a-kind rare pop-up book and, and send it to Aunt Lucy for her birthday. However, he soon crosses paths with a, dis, with a sort of uh, a, a, a devious actor, a devious, disgraced actor, played by Hugh Grant. Oh. <laughs> yes. Um, and he, um, a master of disguise, who decides for his own reasons, which seemingly involve a kind of a treasure hunt, um, he wants this book for himself. So he arranges to break into the antique store, steal the book for himself, and frame Paddington in the process. So Paddington winds up in this Grand Budapest hotel-like version of a prison. Okay. You know, forced to sort of make do around all these hard-nut convicts, whilst his family on the outside work to clear his name. We have a clip of, uh, of one of their visiting days. In the past month, these three shadowy individuals have all been seen snooping around three London landmarks. Oh. We think the thief you saw is part of a criminal gang. Using the pop-up book as a treasure map. Well, it's a theory. Have you found out who they are? Not yet, dearie. Maybe I should take a look. 
I'm sorry, this is a private conversation. Oh, it's all right, Mr. Brown. This is my friend, Knuckles. Go here. And this is Fibs. G'day. Spoon. Hello. Jimmy the Snitch. All right. T-Bone. Watch out. The Professor. Oh. Squeaky Pete. Ow. Double Bass Bob. Hello. Farmer Jack. Okay. Mad Dog. Oof. Johnny Cashpoint. Catching. Sir Jeffrey Wilcott. I hope I can rely on your vote. And Charlie Rumble. <sighs> It's so wonderful to meet you all. That joke about Sir Geoffrey Wilcott, it's like a fake Tory MP who's been incarcerated for something we're never told about. That absolutely slayed me. And they go back to it about two or three times, and I just laugh myself senseless every time. <laughs> I couldn't possibly comment on such a matter. Things like that, just a really great gag. Very for the time, and yet at the same time, not really forced. Not really One of the things you kind of you don't really notice unless you... you, you know, it's not... It's not too obstructive, yeah. a gag. It doesn't take you out of it. And that's, in many ways, the perfect representation of what's so great about this movie. Yeah. Um, like the first movie, they've managed to avoid the pitfall of, oh, it's Paddington for the YouTube generation. None of that. This is Paddington in Richard Curtis's London. Ah, you know? <laughs> the best London. <laughs> yeah, the best London, the Richard Curtis London, yes. Um, and it's whimsical and fun, and it's got a great cast, and, you know, Brendan Gleeson turns up as the prison chef, you know, because... That's who you cast. Yeah, why not? Uh, Hugh Grant's absolutely sensational as the as the villain of the piece. I'm, I'm always a fan. And I try to remember his name because it's something hilarious. His first name is Phoenix, and uh, I can't remember what his surname is. But uh, he is Phoenix Buchanan. That's it. <laughs> He's the actor Phoenix Buchanan, and he has this almost Norman Bates-like schizophrenic uh, kind of a performance thing that he does with all the costumes of his former roles, which is absolutely brilliant. And it it it's Hugh Grant at his comedic best, oh, absolutely mincing it up in this great family-friendly uh, Grand Budapest style. There's a lot of Wes Anderson to it as well. It's a very strange thing. A lot of great slapstick, a uh, lot of heart, a lot of warmth. I really love Ben Whishaw as Paddington. Um, I, I loved, I loved it. I really did. A minute for minute one to the to the very closing frame. And by the way, stick through to about halfway through the open, through the closing credits because there is there there is an element that goes through. Um, I loved it. I mean, I, I'd wish I'd had a massive marmalade sandwich with me in the screen. They did give us some before the screening, um, but I wish I had a massive marmalade sandwich in the screen with me and like a nice cup cup of soothing tea. Uh, and that's the only way I could. I just want to wrap myself up in this film and be cuddled by it. Oh, that's nice. That's how cute a film this is. I want to fall asleep cuddling this film. <laughs> you know, that's, that's how good it is. I really, really loved it. And I say that having you know, already, already been a fan of the first one. Um, I, if I had kids, I would take them to see it. I don't have kids, so I'd go on my own happily again. <laughs> I would go and see it again on my own. That's how much I loved it. You don't need kids to see this movie. It's Paddington done it. It's so good. Uh, so, should we plug the podcast edition and the uh, other competitions? Yeah, sure. I'm so shocked at how happy you are. I'm really happy about yeah. <laughs> Paddington. It's so good. Okay, so uh, podcast edition. You're a fan of uh, of our podcast, and you're the one who suggested our digital bling that we're now so so proud of. Yeah, I am. I am the podcast guy. You are the podcast guy. So uh, iTunes, Acast, Deezer, TuneIn. Pick your podcast platform of choice yeah. or podcast platform of preference. If we're going with alliteration, I would and, suggest Acast if you're at a computer. Yeah, because you get the digital bling and it's so much more fun, isn't it? it? Is, and you just know that you spent ages doing it. Actually, no, we've gotten it down to a pretty refined process now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, you get the extended edition. After the end credits, we have a whole bunch of other stuff. More news, more reviews, moment of cage. Loads of fun for the family. Uh, competitions this week, uh, loads of good stuff. Yeah. So we've got Blu-rays of Sorcerer to give away. Okay. Uh, which is, you know, the sort of kind of overlooked, overlooked uh, uh, freaking movie. Uh, his follow-up to The Exorcist turned out to be a financial flop at the time, but then again, it did open. An 
opposite Star Wars. So, you know. Stood no chance. Stood no chance. And uh, we've also got Blood Simple, the Coen Brothers debut feature uh, to give away as well. We're giving that away in Blu-ray. And... I'm very proud to announce we're giving away Justice League goodie bags this week. Ah, cool. You want to hear what's in these things? It's unbelievable. Fidget spinners, uh, mobile rings, scarves, hats, tote bags, Polytech hoodies. You know those, those funky? Yeah. Uh, Polytech hoodies, uh, shirts, collectible pins, wristbands, uh, uh, computer stickers, everything. And All Justice League branded. And a partridge about. No, you know, it's not even December yet. Shut up. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, go to onscreenfilm.com, go in the competition section, and win some swag. With the latest film news and reviews, this is Offscreen, the on screen radio show. We're back, Mr. Colson. So, um, should we we go somewhere that you won't be expecting now? Yeah. Let's talk about A Caribbean Dream. And, uh, well, you already know that this is is a Shakespeare project. Yeah. Okay, so brace yourself. This is an adaptation of A Midsummer Night's Dream. But it takes place in Barbados... And it and it, it features a, a, a regional cast for Barbados. <laughs> so what you actually wind up with is the classic story of Midsummer Night's Dream. You know, Puck, the fairies, uh, the, the the love spells. Everyone wakes up and they're loving different people. The kind of unconventional love story, but the Caribbean version. So yeah, as bonkers as that sounds, I promise you to to see and hear it is even more bonkers. Here's a clip. Helen, I love thee. By my life I do. I say I love thee more than you can do. If thou say so, withdraw and prove it too. Yard foul! Lord, what fools these mortals be. We should be wooed and we're not meant to woo. That's something you think you'd be hearing today, huh? You know the soundtrack's going to be just so good. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it clearly is. Um, right, the soundtrack is good. Um, the film, actually... Well, to be fair, the film is exactly as good as you would either think it would be or wouldn't be. So, if, you know, if you like A Midsummer Night's Dream, you will like this. Okay. Yeah. You know, the the, 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 cult, the cultural facelift doesn't particularly distract. It's the same old story. The story shines through no matter what the regional yeah. uh, regional aesthetic seems to be. That seems to be the case. Um, I mean, f- as far as Midsummer Night's Dream goes for me, I mean, I've seen a bunch of versions on stage, but uh, the one I always remember is I remember the 1999, I think, film with uh, Christian Bale. Oh, I'm not sure. I just remember it was like a... There was a major film in about 99, 2000, in the summer, one of those years. It was one of, you know, when the teacher used to bring the TV into the room, <laughs> and he'd be like, oh, it's a nothing lesson. This does have the feeling, actually, of one of those films that your teacher would show you. <laughs> you know, to try and do something alternative. Yeah. You know, in that way that they show the Baz Luhrmann, Romeo and Juliet? Because <laughs> that's, that's hip and edgy, <laughs> but you're still getting the text. Yeah. Same thing here. They'd show you this for the same exact reason they show you Baz Luhrmann's Romeo and Juliet. Okay. And... On that level, it, it's you can't really not enjoy it. It's, it's 82 minutes long. It's colourful, it's vivid, it's written and directed... Well, not written and directed, but adapted by yeah. and directed by uh, Shakira Bourne. Um, it has it has its charm, it really does. And, and, and a lot of it is, is that sort of that regional cultural warmth. Like you say, the soundtrack is so sort of lilted and, yeah. and kind of wonderful and delightful that you do get sucked into it. And it's that classic text. And I mean, someone I stream is one that they still teach to this day. It's one that does get taught an awful lot. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so, I mean, I enjoyed it. 
Oh, for the most part, I, I will admit, I really did enjoy it. So, Mr. Colson, over to you for uh, some film news. I believe there was a piece that, did, uh, that caught your eye. What would you like to talk about? Um, Vin Diesel. Oh, is this him doing the boxing drama? Yeah, boxing club. <laughs> boxing club drama. I forget the title of this. It, it's something like Crashers Club or something like that. Oh, wow. He's going to produce this, because you know, he has that label, One Race. Yeah. Uh, you know, which is meant to refer to his, his sort of, his worldview on ethnicity, because he's mixed race. And yeah. Made, made that movie, uh, Strays or Multifasted, something like that. Uh, that was his debut film. And so his label's called One Race, and they've produced most of his body of work, to oh. be honest. Um, so now he's teaming up with one of the producers of Criminal Minds to do an NBC drama series about a, a, a gritty, downtrodden Chicago boxing club and uh, how a young single mom from the suburbs kind of crosses paths with them and changes their lives forever, changes the lives of the kids who, who frequent there. But, uh, yeah, you know, it's Vin Diesel. I'm sure it'll be uh, interesting, to say the least. Yeah, it's got boxing. It? It's got boxing. That's kind of a big-ticket item at the minute, is the old boxing, isn't it? Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> the old box. The old boxing, you know, it, it, it's it's a big-ticket item. It's it's certainly packing them in on the pay-per-view circuit at the minute. It does seem more, boxing seems more popular now than it was when I was a kid. It's because it's got exciting again. It has, hasn't it? Yeah. It's weird. In the last sort of... in the last Last 18 months, two years, I would say, boxing has just gone up a whole other level. Yeah. So it's not really terribly surprising to me that the idea, the idea of going more into boxing with fiction. Um, isn't the one that's Animal Kingdom, I think, or something like that, that's quite big at the moment? That's MMA. That yeah. sounds like a similar kind of thing to this project, but that stars Frank Grillo. Oh, just Kingdom. Oh, is it Kingdom? Just Kingdom. Is it Kingdom? Yeah. Right. There's another one called, there's another series called Animal Kingdom that isn't about animals. That's, right. yeah, that's why I sort of made the, uh, the, the leap there. Yeah, just, just Kingdom. Fair enough. So, uh, Kingdom with Frank. I want to watch it. I will get to it. It's got Frank in it. Of course you want to watch it. Of course. So, uh, let me talk about the Florida project then. Yes. Right. So, um, there's a motel run by Willem Dafoe. And this is not a horror movie. <laughs> Right, I want you to get off the bat straight away because if I say there's a motel run by Willem Dafoe, you expect there's going to be some killing. Yeah, that was a scared laugh. <laughs> exactly, yeah. It's one of the family guys shot of him crawling out from under the bed, sliding out. <laughs> so what you've got is this is the story of a young girl uh, played by Brooklyn Prince. Uh, her name is Mooney. She grows up. She's, she's growing up over this over the course of a summer in one of those extended stay motels. You know that you get in, in the US where you check in for like three months to a motel? Oh, right, yeah, yeah. One of those. Willem Dafoe is the manager, and he's sort of like the parent figure to this complex as well. Um, the the mum is uh, frequently off, uh, you know, grafting, we'll say, oh, okay. sort of making ends meet, uh, some sort of unskilled work. It's never particularly laid out. Some sort of unskilled work that she's forced to work long hours at, so she's kind of an absentee mum in one regard. Um and it's about how uh, Mooney grows up over the summer, the, the, how she spends the time with her friends and the, the adventures and misadventures, as it were, that they get into and how it begins to, how certain events start to impact their lives and change their, change their future for the better, for the worse. Well, it's up in the air. Here is a clip of Willem Dafoe telling off some kids. I got a videotape of the kids illegally entering the utility room. Do not tell the old man. Do you hear what I just said? I got it. I'm going to talk to her. Captain Skin, you're out of here. It's only second week of the summer and there's already been a dead fish in the pool. We were doing an experiment. We were trying to get it back alive. That wasn't my idea. And, and water balloons thrown at tourists. You can't with tourists. They didn't tip us. Are you serious? No. Oh my God, this is unacceptable. 
I failed as a mother, Moni. You disgrace me. Hurley. Yeah, Mom, you're a disgrace. I love this film. Okay. <laughs> I, 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 I didn't expect to at all. So this comes from the guy that made Tangerine. All right. You remember that one at all? I think. Uh, that was the one shot on an iPhone. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I was, I was going to say, I think I remember something ridiculous. Yeah, it was it. shot on an iPhone, and every broadsheet critic declared it to be the greatest piece of film ever constructed. And you sit and think, well, of course you did. You're from a broadsheet. And, uh, yeah. And you came away from thinking, okay, it's a, it's a novelty that it's shot on an iPhone. The central performance was all right. That's really all it's got going for it. I don't see the great talent here. This time around, Sean Baker, the director of that film, has decided he's going to make a film properly. All right. It's kind of like when people make a found footage film first, then they go and make an actual film afterwards. <laughs> kind of the same thing. Um, and so he's he's, uh, say he's he's written this as well. He's co-written this with uh, Chris Burgotch. Uh, I think co-wrote uh, Tangerine with him as well. Right. Um, this is a way, way better movie than Tangerine was. Um, really gripping in, in the sense of... It, he never lets up with just how absolutely confident in itself it is. It very much knows its locale, that kind of a sleazy, you know, you know some bad stuff's going on, but yeah. you can kind of overlook it if you just walk quickly enough kind of a location. Uh, one of those... Um, uh, Bria Venate as as the mum, Hallie, uh, I think she's great. Willem Dafoe obviously owns this film, but uh, its breakout star is Brooklyn Prince. I don't even know how old Brooklyn Prince is. She, child actress, she's absolutely tremendous. Uh, it doesn't say her, her actual age on her IMDb page, but she's can't be older than like seven or eight tops. All right. Can't be, can't be older than seven tops. And she's fantastic in this. Um, to the extent that, and she and the other child actors in it actually all as well, I wondered how much of their dialogue was actually improvised and how much was scripted because it's so naturalistic. Yeah. It's so believable and so utterly, unflinchingly childlike. And you just, you completely buy it that you think, have they, have they really just not let these kids in just hold them? Just go and play and we'll film you. Yeah. Which is a dodgy thing to ask kids anyway. But <laughs> just go and play. We'll film you. Um, yeah, and, and it feels like that. You wonder how tightly scripted it is, but apparently there is some scripting in there. There is a sequence in which she, she's made to cry, and that apparently is scripted. And you think, wow, okay, so there, there clearly is a quite a skilled an actress inside this little girl. And she's absolutely an unbelievable find. Uh, the final five minutes of it involves some guerrilla-style filming that will remind you of a certain infamous horror movie that's gone on Netflix in the last year or so uh, called Escape to Tomorrow okay. uh, which I'll tell you about later um, but uh, yeah I really I really liked it I was gripped I did come away um, there's a couple of thematic things that I think needed uh, thematic elements I think needed more reinforcement that needed to be bolstered need to be you know have more attention drawn yeah, to yeah. them uh, but other than that I really enjoyed it and especially compared to Tangerine I thought oh, an infinitely better film it's uh, an hour 51 uh, Kind of breezes by, feels like about 100 minutes. It feels about 10 minutes shorter than it is. I really like it. I think Willem Dafoe absolutely steals it. Um, and guess what? Willem Dafoe is a motel manager in a movie that it turns out does not involve murders. With the latest film news and reviews, this is Off Screen. And we're back, Mr. Colson. So, uh, shall we... Uh, do you know what? I don't know if you noticed this. Um, Wonder Woman. It's like buses. Yeah. You wait years and years for Wonder Woman to appear on a cinema screen. Yeah. And then in the space of 12 months, three times. Yeah. Three times. So we had Wonder, we had Batman Superman. Yeah. And we had Wonder Woman. 
And I'll oh, tell lie four times because Barra Superman, Wonder Woman, Professor Marston and the Wonder Women, which we're about to talk about, okay. and then Justice League, which is next week. Okay. So, Professor Marston and the Wonder Women, uh, which is written and directed by uh, Angela Robinson. Um, this is the biopic of the guy who created Wonder Woman. Oh. Okay, which. Believe it or not, is a far more interesting story than you would think. So his name is uh, William Marston Molden. William Molden Marston, sorry. And he's played by Luke Evans. Okay, so Gaston is is Professor Marston. Um, the Wonder Women are his wife, Rebecca Hall, and their lover, Olive. Olive Byrne, played by uh, Bella Heathcote. So I think most people know Bella Heathcote now from... Uh, is it? Uh, she's the stalker chick in Fifty Shades Darker and thinks she was in uh, Pride and Prejudice and Zombies and... Not Captain America. Not not in Captain America, no. No, no, she's not had a Marvel role yet. Um, so the idea is he... First of all, he invented the lie detector. All right. That's the story. He invented the lie detector. He is. Uh, he was the uh, the college professor who invented the lie detector. He takes on an academic student, uh, an academic uh, sort of support worker who's one of his students, who's Olive Byrne, and uh, she falls in love with both he and his wife, who both in turn fall in love with them. They enter into a polyamorous relationship back in a time when there really wasn't a term for it. Okay. Right. They are quickly ostracized by their community. They move away. They try to live a relatively um, uh, what do you call it? A, a relatively uh, discreet life okay. and uh, given that he can't really work in academia he basically comes up with the character of Wonder Woman who is based on an amalgamation of both women all right. So, you know, all the sort of headstrong stubbornness of his wife and all the, the physical uh, all the physical presence of their lover here's a clip a comic book, Bill? well, it's perfect I'm going to inject my ideas right into the thumping heart of America I mean, I'll get a real artist to draw it properly. She's an Amazon princess that lives on an island of all women. Paradise Island. And a man crash lands on the island. Uh, yeah, Steve, Trevor the spy. And she wears a burlesque outfit. Well, it's athletic. And silver bracelets. They deflect bullets. And all her friends and helpers are sorority girls who have spanking parties and everybody fights Nazis and rides in an invisible plane. Yes, yeah, you can kind of get a sense of the tone from there, can't you? It sounds so simple. It, it really does. Um, right, this is this is great. This is really something. Um, a lot of the uh, a lot of the success of it comes from the casting and the and the writing that they're all afforded. Um, there's a heart and a warmth to it. Not quite the same heart and warmth as Paddington, admittedly. Um, very different. Um, there's a there's there's a lot there's a lot of very sharp and concise storytelling at play for a character driven romantic drama of sorts. This is a, a really a cut above. Um, it has issues and those issues really relate more to its depiction of reality than anything else and that ordinarily is something I wouldn't consider because obviously reality has nothing to do with the film unless that film ends with kind of showing you the reality right and a film that's built on the romance and the and, and the goodwill that this is it, it then ends with uh, the, that stock thing of let's put up pictures of the real people yeah right the problem is once you discover that luke evans is a good 25 to 30 years younger than the actual professor marston was and that his wife was more or less the same age the story suddenly becomes a little bit seedier oh. yeah and the problem is that once you've gone through the entirety of this film and been charmed by it and been wowed by it and actually been really taken in by it to the extent that you have, that feels like a bit of a gut punch at the end. Because you think, okay, well, I feel that kind of cheapens it a bit now. I feel like you kind of should have left that be. 
It's probably you know, why they did it at the end. Yeah, just just let just skip the the true story pictures. Just cut to the end. Give us the you know the text on the black screen. That would have been fine. Don't give us the photos, and then basically recast the whole movie in our mind because the guy looked more like the actor Tracy Letts or Bruce Davison than he did uh, Luke Evans. So the evil senator from the first X Men movie. All right, yeah, there we go. There you go. Yeah, yeah, he thanks. looked more him than Luke Evans. Oh wow. So, yeah, there is that. Having said that, um, it's a really romantic, really powerful story, and there's some great imagery in it. There's a shot, for instance, of uh, a bleary-eyed Luke Evans, from his point of view, of uh, a figure walking into a room in in a blurry haze, and then that figure splitting in two, because it turns out his wife and girlfriend have been walking one behind the other, oh. and it's, it's a wonderful shot that I think kind of defines the film. Um, there's a lot of, like, visual in-jokery as regards to the Wonder Woman mythology, things like, oh, look, silver bracelets, because... Yeah. Olive wears silver bracelets, okay. so it becomes a staple of the character. There's lots of stuff like that. And actually, it's a really cleverly done idea. Um, it's this, for instance, is light years beyond Goodbye Christopher Robin, for instance. All right. Uh, way, way better than that. Or, for instance, Finding Neverland, but, yeah. uh, which was already better than Goodbye Christopher Robin, but uh, yeah, Goodbye Movie, that's all. But, uh, no, I, I really liked it. I, I was uh, solidly impressed by it. Uh, I think it could have done without that little sting at the end, but uh, yeah, which you gave us at the beginning of the review. If you'd have done it at the end, <laughs> okay, I'm preparing you. <laughs> it's like the mountain between us. You wish you'd gotten to that bit first, so you could just know the whole movie was going to suck rather than the last third. <laughs> but you know, <laughs> right? Give me a piece of film news before we do the top five. Then uh, Lena Headley, Healy, Lena Headey. Yeah, oh, uh, say her name wrong. Cersei Lannister. Yeah, I was going to say for shame, but then yeah, I was just, like, just say Cersei Lannister. Yeah. No one cares what her actual name is. No, it's true. Just Cersei Lannister. She makes you love her, hate her, hate her, love her, love her, hate her, love hate her, hate her. Sometimes both simultaneously under the sheets. But uh, well, that literally is plot a plot point in Game of Thrones, isn't it? <laughs> so. <laughs> Yeah, she's doing a new movie. Actually, funnily enough, that ties into kind of about Professor Marston. That's another author biopic as well. That one is about, uh, I forget his name, who did Wind in the Willows. That's going to bug me. It's the author biopic of the creator of Wind of the Willows. You're looking at me. I'm one of the most uncultured people that you know. You were a child once. Did you not see Wind in the Willows? I wasn't a child. I was born at six foot three. <laughs> that is kind of true. Um, I forget, forget his name. But yeah, so she's going to star in that. It's called Banking on Mr. Toad. That's a great name. It's a great title, isn't it? <laughs> I, I'm a big fan of that title. So yeah, we've got that to come. That looks that like, could be interesting. Shall we crack on with the top five then? Yes. Number five. The death death. The death of Stalin. Well, the death of Stalin would have been a very different movie. It's just this this dictator just sitting there saying, sorry, can you speak up? Um, No. uh, Again. (laughs) Although, this being the comedy that it is, I'm absolutely surprised that that did not make it in. It's absolutely hilarious. Are you a fan of Armando Iannucci movies at all? Like, Um, uh, In the Loop? Uh, like that. A little bit. No, you watch the in the thick of it. Veep. You, in fact, I know you watch Veep. Yeah, all right, yeah. Because I know your missus watches Veep, so yeah. I know you've seen <laughs> yeah. your share of Veep. Been in the room when Veep's on. Yeah, exactly. Uh, very similar t- tone. He's not. He's not skipped a beat there. Uh, it is hilarious. I think it's the funniest thing he's put out yet. Uh, the cast are tremendous: Steve Buscemi, Jeffrey Tambor, Michael Palin, and of course Sir Jason Isaacs. Uh, I'm, I'm voluntarily calling him Sir. I know he's not Sir. He deserves to be. He absolutely steals this film. He's tremendous in it. And uh, yeah, I was, a, I was I was a huge fan. All right, so people on Twitter are agreeing with you as well. Um, so Tyler Chinnick, I'm sorry if I go wrong, says that it's, um, the film's as good as it says it is. It's hilarious, gripping, dark, daft, horrific. Can't think of another film quite like it. Number four. 
Jigsaw. Which I loved. I mean, you're not really, I'm guessing you're not a Saw guy. Uh, so I've seen Saw 1 and, like, the the end, I was like, wow. Yeah, the end. The end's a belt of the first one, isn't it? And then I've seen, is it Saw 3D? That's the last one. Which, like, Kel took me to see and then she looked at me and she's like, oh, yeah, I'm kind of sorry about that. I was like, <laughs> wow. Is that the one where they, they, they strap Chester Bennington to a car and then rip him in half? They rip his back off. Yeah, know. they rip his back off, don't they? Um, well, I, I love all the Saw movies. Um, they're just, they're such, they're guilty pleasures of mine. They are just, for me, fun, frivolous, you know, gore fuel extravaganzas. The first one's so good. But the, the first one is a great film and yeah. the rest. That's the thing. It, it's that film versus movie equation, isn't it? Oh, the right, first yeah. one works as a solid film the rest are kind of cheap exploitation film uh, cheap exploitation movies um this is very much in the in more in the spirit of the cheap exploitation movie um and this is you know a full-fledged reboot and for me it does what it says on the tin which is you know what it's bringing saw back for you know a crowd that moved on for six years and i'm okay with that yeah yeah the internet sort of disagrees well the internet can can disagree all it likes go on so it's galaxy girl but it's with a z so i don't trust their opinion anymore okay uh, just saw the new jigsaw movie it wasn't as good as uh, the others it's just okay <laughs> i disagree i also saw geostorm well yeah kind of says it all. i'm just gonna stop reading because <laughs> she got more to say um she also saw geostorm yeah that was a weird day. Yeah. Although, yeah, to be fair, I think I saw both on the same day, didn't I? Yeah, but it's more. <laughs> yeah. It's got a Z in a name. <laughs> is, that your, is that your dividing yeah. line? Uh, there was Z. <laughs> Kick her out. I'm out. <laughs> I'm sorry, you've lost it. I'll get me cold. Uh, I disagree. <laughs> I disagree entirely. Number three. Bad Mom's Christmas. Which is not a patch on the first one. first one was really like, it shouldn't have been good. Shouldn't have been, but it was, wasn't it? It was, yeah. yeah. The second one, the thing of the first one is the first one had that kind of bad Santa-ish feeling of, we're kind of doing an indie movie, but it's but it's got the look and cast of a mainstream Hollywood film. Yeah. This is, in the same way that Bad Santa just became a generic Hollywood sequel, this does very much the same thing, and it's nowhere near as funny. I don't think I actually laughed out loud once. I I did a couple of, (laughs) you know, a couple of of those, (laughs) a couple of... (laughs) Kind of moments, you know, that, that's really it. It's like, <laughs> Catherine Hahn, you know, <laughs> Susan Sarandon, <laughs> dude who played the Green Arrow and is now on This Is Us. You know, that's that, that, that's really it. And I never really laughed. And that's that's a shame, given how good the first one was. All right, so Eric Brewer on Twitter says, I've had a few days to recover, but I think it's safe to say that Bad Mom's Christmas might have been the best Christmas movie ever made. What the hell? Not seen Harold I'm, and Kumar, so... He's not seen Harold and Kumar uh, 3D Christmas. He's not seen The Ref slash Hostile hostages die hard bad santa bad santa uh the night before oh yeah um, yeah because we this is the first christmas this year and we actually get to enjoy that as a christmas movie yeah yeah after its actual release oh, so it, come out, like, it came out last christmas yeah. last christmas yeah that and office christmas party were last christmas and i'm looking forward to including them in my alternative christmas repertoire this year <laughs> number two Ragnarok, which you've not seen yet, have you? No, but I've read. You've read, so I'm super excited. I, I, I did say I will go with you and see it when you when yeah. you want to go. Uh, right, I think it's tremendous. I think it's a great, fun, flashy, just fantastic sequel, and it has all. You know, you know how Thor was always a, a great character who was also funny. Yeah, now he's a great funny character, uh, and that that's it. That, so that's the, the transition. They've realised. Put it together. 
Yeah, they, they've win. they've over they've upped they upped the comedy factor significantly. Um, they've uh, they've applied it to other characters as well. So all the characters now seem to actually have an appreciation of how ridiculous they all are. So like Loki, for instance, yeah. seems to actually have a perception of how silly he actually looks. And his helmet, yeah, yeah. and <laughs> that kind of thing does come up. There, there's a, a sequence very early on involving Loki on Asgard that for me is absolutely the high watermark of the film. It's, it's a sequence that involves uh, Anthony Hopkins and some cameos, and, and it is tremendous. And the way in which Thor deals with that scene is absolutely brilliant and very in-fitting with what you love about that character. Um, the new additions do work tremendously well. I liked uh, Tessa Thompson quite a bit as Valkyrie, Kate Blanchett, so much fun as, as Hela, um, uh, Carl Urban as Scourge, very much, very much a lot of fun. Um and of course, Mark Ruffalo's Hulk, uh, who is the closest we'll ever get, I think, at this stage to seeing the Peter David version of that character blown up and on screen. Okay. And he is that, you know, that great talk. Have you ever seen the Avengers Earth Mighty's Hero cartoon? It's that version of Hulk. Oh, right. And I'm really glad I've actually, you know, I've actually been seeing these films long enough to have actually seen that version on a cinema screen. It is so much fun, and you absolutely must see it. And Twitter completely agrees. That's good. Yeah, which is nice. It is uh, nice. So Laura Broadberry says it's absolutely brilliant. Wonderful mix of comedy, drama, action, and an exceptional cast. Fantastic. And the little okay the little hand gesture thing. The little emoji. Number one. Murder on the Orient Express? Uh, I've not seen it. So it was subject to filmmaker approval. Ah. And, uh, Awkward. I know, which is weird. <laughs> I've, I've interviewed Kenneth Branagh twice. Yeah. So, yeah, can't figure that one out. Uh... Yeah, I don't really care to be honest. I'm not. I'm not giving up my own personal time or money to see Murder on the Orient Express. Let, let's be really honest. It looks like the kind of thing Netflix would do for a laugh. Okay. You know what I mean? Hey, let's just get a big ass cast, right? We'll shut like a hundred mil at it, and we'll just make the same old thing. But because we're Netflix, people will buy it. Only this time it's Fox doing it. And this is probably the reason that people like Disney can have conversations about buying their entire library. <laughs> yeah, kind of that reason. So what's Twitter got on it? Uh, well, after you not seeing it, I sort of don't want to tell you. <laughs> Fair enough. Go on, what's it say? <laughs> right. It says, uh, saw Murder on the Orient Express and I'm all bored. Oh. Uh, not a whodunit, only a why do it again. <laughs> you know what? Me and this person have a lot in common, I think. Let's have drinks. I didn't read that before. I just thought it was brilliant. <laughs> Let's meet up. Let's have drinks. With the latest film news and reviews, this is Offscreen, the on-screen radio show. And we're back for what Vin Diesel would call one last ride. Yeah. So, um, oh, oh, I, I know we've got such, we've got one that you're going to absolutely love next. Uh, do you want to give me a quick piece of film news before we do it, though? Uh, yeah, Red Sonja revival. Right. Are you aware of Red Sonja? Not in the slightest. Okay, she was like an offshoot of the Conan series. Oh, right. Like, like basically, girl Conan. Yeah. Uh, they, they did make it into a movie in the 80s, starring Bridget Nielsen, and then she got Schwarzenegger to co-star in it. Have we spoken about this Entirely possible. Yeah. I think it's entirely possible. Uh, now, Millennium Millennium Media, I think they're called now, yes. they're trying to, to revive the series. Millennium Media, of course, are run by uh, Arvi Lerner, uh, who produced the Expendables series under oh. that label. So you have an idea of what they're kind of going for then. Um, I always want to know, what happened to the Expendables series that we're supposed to get? It was going to be the Girl Expendables. Um, Star like Ronda Rousey, etc., wasn't it? I but, think they... they- so they were in some of them, and then I think they went, let's do this, and everyone went like, no. 
think so. Don't. Apparently this is being fast-tracked, though, so yeah. we will see it sooner rather than later. Oh, okay. I don't know who you'd get to play that character. Now, maybe it would be Ronda Rousey, who knows? Yeah, that, that, I could believe that. Yeah. As, as Red Son. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know any other girl UFC fighters other than, like, Gina Carano, and she's, I don't think she's even competing anymore, is she? She didn't even make it to the UFC. Oh, okay, there she we are. She retired before. Oh, well, fair enough, then. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, from from uh, female fighters, then, to manly movies. Okay. So, right. I know you and I love a good, schlocky, manly movie. Yeah, we do. You know, we, we've watched Point Break more times than we, we can count. Yeah, I love that film. You know, <laughs> caught my first tube today, sir. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, I am going to review for you now a movie so manly that at one point it features Jeff Bridges in a cowboy hat saying the words, if you're looking for sympathy, the only place you'll find it is in the dictionary, somewhere between sorry and syphilis. That's how manly only the brave is. Okay? It is backdraft for the lone survivor crowd. Only without the stupid title, because that title kind of gave away the end of the film. You remember the poster? Like, five men went behind enemy lines? Lone survivor. You're like, yeah, cheers for that. I don't need the film now. (laughs) Yeah, cheers for that, Peter Berg. Uh, So this is is directed by Joseph Kaczynski, who brought us uh, Tron Legacy and Oblivion. And basically, he's made a Peter Berg movie. That's how this works. It is the story of the Granite Mountain Hotshots. Wow. It's a manly name, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, that is a manly name. Your voice got deeper when you said it. <laughs> you just, I feel like I've grown more hair saying that. <laughs> so yeah, granite mountain hotshots. Ooh, I'm full of beard now. Anyway, um, so I love my jack beard. Anyway, it stars uh, Josh Brolin and Miles Teller, Jeff Bridges, Taylor Kitsch. And don't be alarmed, though, because both Miles Teller and Taylor Kitsch are quite good in it. But I know how weird that is. And basically, they are the first municipal, um, municipally, municipally formed and actually accepted member of the, of the hotshots, uh, sort of unit. They are the guys who go into, uh, into brush fires, you know, wildfires in like Northern California and Arizona. Yeah. And basically, they get ahead of the fire, they chop down all the trees, and they burn them in controlled burns so the fire has nowhere to go. They remove the fuel. Is basically the way this works. They defeat fire with fire. They literally fight fire <laughs> with fire. Here's a clip of Josh Brolin training them to do exactly that. Let's go, Bravo! Let's go, Bravo! Kick it up, max level! George, pop quiz. You're cutting a line on the side hill below the fire. Debris and logs can start to roll down across your line. What do you do? Move the cup trench. Move the logs so they're up and down the slope. There it is. Outstanding. Hey, McDonough, pop quiz. Put your 11th watch out. No, don't look at him. Look at me. What's your 11th watch out? The fire liner kind of has been anchored. Boom, that's eight. Uh, you're getting spot fires across that's the... That's 16. Alpha squad, hold. What's your 11th watch out? Other fuel between you and the fire. Firefighters died for us. We could learn all these watch outs. If you get another one wrong, I will choke you out. Charming fellow, isn't he? Chess just got more hair. <laughs> Didn't it? Yeah. It is. It's a manly, manly movie. It really is. And uh, and it, it makes no bones about it. Here's the thing. Uh, despite the fact that it's directed by, you know, Kaczynski and, you know, the body of work he has behind him, you expect this to be a big, over-the-top, spectacle-driven thing. It's really not. It is very much a character. I mean, there are set pieces, obviously, but yeah. it's it's more about the characters and their interactions, their relationships, etc. Um, this does involve a certain historical event as regards firefighting that kind of does give the end of the film away. All right. Um, so don't look into it too much if you don't already know, and if you do already know, you'll probably know why you want to see it. Um, oh well, that's, yeah, there you go. Um, 
It's really well staged. The cast are all really good, and they've all got that sort of, you know, that lantern-jawed bromance thing. This is one of those, you know, Lone Survivor, Deepwater yeah. Horizon, uh, those kind of films that are like, real American heroes, <laughs> kind of a film, you know. The clip had a chainsaw. Yeah, like, back chainsaw and yelling, you know. <laughs> I'll choke you out. You know, it has stuff like that. And everyone's, like, calling everyone bro. And, you know, it's like, it, and you kind of buy into it. You do. Even Miles Teller, who, for the record, is playing... And they've cast him really well, actually, because given my opinion of Miles Teller, which is he's kind of a brat, he's kind of a spoilt brat of an actor. Stop hating him so much. Well, here's the thing. Cleverly, they cast him <laughs> as a spoilt brat <laughs> who has to work to become a useful person. And I kind of feel like there was a meta statement in that. Because it worked on me. By the end of the movie, I thought, you know what, Miles Teller? You might look like you're starring in the music video for Stan. But you're all right, man. You're all right. And Taylor Kitsch, top of his game. Absolutely. T- I never thought I'd say it. Taylor Kitsch. Seriously. The, the crap gambit from the Wolverine spinoff. Remember that? Him. He's actually good in this. I think that's what it says on his headshot. <laughs> <laughs> On his IMDb page, it actually says, you know, 2008, 2007, 2008, uh, you know, uh, X-Men Origins Wolverine, crap gambit. <laughs> you know, that's how it says. But no, really good. And of course, it's all led by Josh Brolin, you know, the man with the greatest head of hair in Hollywood. And voice. Oh, he has. But seriously, have you ever noticed that hair? Yeah. That is, that is, that's serious hair. And you don't trifle with that hair. Have you seen him now? Well, well, he's in Deadpool mode. Yeah. yeah. He is jacked. Yeah, you don't trifle with anything. Well, you kind of get the embryo stage of that uh, in this. Nowhere near Deadpool level, but you do get the embryo stage. First pump, but, uh, Yeah. It, don't get me wrong. It is emotionally cloying. It is cliched. It, they do phone in certain plot machinations. I, but I always feel that's needed in a man film, though. It is. The thing is, it, this is one of those films where you're, kind of, you're either on board five minutes in... Yeah. Or you're not. If you pay money to see this and five minutes in you think you're not enjoying it, immediately leave and ask for a refund. And because you've only seen five minutes of it, they may well give it to you. <laughs> but but seriously, if you don't like those first five minutes, just leave. Go to the go to the GBK or or you know go and get a Pizza Express or something. You you will get more out of it than the rest of this film if you don't like those first five minutes. Funnily enough... From the clip I was in. Yeah, exactly. You, you're going to love it. Oh. Like, we're doing... This is a man night movie for us. This, oh. is, this is a Nando's night. You know, kind of thing. Yeah. Um, I, I saw... I was sat next to uh, a critic friend of mine who I won't name. Out of respect, I will not name him. Um, <laughs> or her. <laughs> or her. No, or her. It, could, it's, it could totally be her. Or, or, or an it. Might be an it. Might, might be a puppy. We don't know. Could be a puppy. Might have been a potted cactus. We don't know. We don't know. We couldn't possibly say. It was potted cactus. Anyway, um, so uh, my friend, uh, who is mocking this film just disastrously all the way through, is like, ugh, gets to the end, and they show they do the thing where they show you the real guys, because oh, this is based on a true story. So good. And it opens with, based on true events, and my friend had missed that moment. They'd been looking away at that moment when it ah. said based on true Did not know. Had mocked the whole film. Gets to the end, and they're showing you the real people. And my friend says, Oh, is that a real story? Oh, 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 okay. Um, I might have taken it a bit more seriously if I'd known that. <laughs> yeah. I, I I don't quite know what to say to that. But, yeah, I mean, I can understand, because I've been there. Yeah. <laughs> I've been there. <laughs> if I'd known it was real, I probably would have taken it a bit more seriously. 
I didn't realise Gambit was a real guy. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, alas, um, Only the Brave is not uh, our film of the week. It's very good. I, I had a great time with it. And you know what? Great date movie. Absolutely. Great date movie. Not our film of the week, though. Um, I think uh, the Bears getting that one. Yeah, I think uh, Paddington. The only bad thing about Paddington 2 is they didn't call it the Porshank Redemption. Wow. It would have been amazing, wouldn't it? The Porshank Redemption. That would have been fantastic. Paddington, the Porshank Redemption. Come on, people. I'm not here to do your work for you. End of the day, it's not my GCSE. Anyway, so... Yeah, next week. Some interesting stuff to come. Uh, we've got Ingrid Goes West, which is uh, Aubrey Plaza in, in the lead for a change. All right, cool. That's always a good thing. Uh, we've got film stars Don't Die in Liverpool, starring Annette Benning and Jamie Bell. So a May to December romance there. We've got At Good Time, starring Robert Pattinson, which is meant to be amazing. All right. I hear really good things. We've got Kenny, a movie about Kenny Dalglish. All right, so it's not about my mate's dad. Not about your mate's dad, and it's not about McCormick either. Oh. Uh, we've got Trophy, which is a movie about hunting. Uh, we've got uh, Mudbound, starring Garrett Headland. We've got Manifesto, starring uh, uh, Carte Blanche, Kate Blanchett. And, uh, well, there's this little film about, like, a legal society. Justice League is out next week. If we're allowed to see it, we don't know yet. But, uh, you know, we are running, we're running a competition. We've got people at their exhibition right now taking pictures. <laughs> so, you know, it's on them if they want to just follow through and, you know, do the last thing and let us actually see the film. It's kind of mean if they don't. Yeah, it kind of is, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. It's like, we, we did all your promo for you. Can we can we actually see the thing we're promoting? <laughs> Please. Please. Yeah, so just a reminder, Justice League stuff is being given away in a competition section on our site, on screenfilm.com, uh, where we're also giving away Blu-rays of Sorcerer, Blu-rays of uh, Blood Simple. Both those movies, absolutely worth checking. Out. We can't speak to Justice League yet. We haven't seen it. No one has, as far as I know. And it's embargoed until, like, next Wednesday morning, so anyone who tells you before then is a liar. <laughs> they are a filthy, filthy liar. That, or they should be prosecuted by one of us for breaking embargo. Yeah, either or. Either or. <laughs> Absolutely. In the meanwhile, uh, this has been the Candy Store for On Screen. I've been Van Connor. I've been John Coulson. And we'll be back. Just show me the way to get out of here, and I'll be on my way. You've been listening to Off Screen. For more news and reviews, visit onscreenfilm.com. Okay, cut. That's Podcast extras. Well, we've got an anime movie to review. Okay. And uh, and then we're going to review Kaleidoscope. And I feel a bit bad that I've shunted Kaleidoscope down to the podcast extras. Why? But uh, th- there's just too much this week. All right. Th- there's just too much. And it's a really good week. Like, most of the things this week are pr- at least pretty good. You know, at least pretty. at least pretty good. There's, I didn't come away from. I don't think I came away from anything this week. Is it average at worst. Yeah, average at worst. I don't think I came away from anything this week hating it or or, or, or vaguely disliking it. Okay. Um, having said that, I mean we'll, we'll get to fireworks in a moment, which is the only thing that comes close to that. Um, we'll, we'll start with the, with a news piece. Um, is there anything in the news that's, that's grabbed your attention? So uh, Marvel, uh, thinking about some villains from Hulk. Yeah, you remember the Incredible Hulk. Yeah, it's, it's like been forgotten to the ravages of time. It's because they were pants films. Well, it was the second Marvel Cinematic Universe movie, and it was pants. <laughs> 
<laughs> it wasn't made that way. I think it was they made it as just a regular reboot. And then because Marvel Studios was formed around that time, yeah. they went in at the 11th hour and stuck in loads of references to S.H.I.E.L.D. And then, fi- <laughs> and then filmed an end credits bit where Tony Stark turned up. Years later. Well, well, well this thing, it took them something like four years to get around to explaining the continuity of it because it didn't make any sense. Because then Iron Man 2 came out two years later and Tony Stark still hadn't done that bit from... Incredible Hulk. Oh, wow. So it was, what? So as a result, I don't know if you know this, the 2008 The Incredible Hulk, starring Edward Norton as the character that will eventually become Mark Ruffalo, takes place the same week as Thor and Iron Man 2. All right. Yeah. So this is referred to in fan circles, genuinely, as Fury's Big Week. Wow. Yeah, yeah. There's also a short film that takes place in the same week as well, starring Agent Coulson, called A Funny Thing Happened on the Way to Thor's Hammer. So, I think I've seen You that. may have. He stops a convenience store robbery yeah. on the way to... Yeah. But the whole thing here now is that, uh, obviously, the Incredible Hulk left two villains hanging at the end. Okay. Because Tim Roth's abomination survived. You know, he wasn't killed. Hulk was going to kill him, and they didn't. And he just sort of seemed to get taken away. And Pants movie. Pants movie, yeah. Well, well I mean, I quite like it. I, I infinitely that prefer doesn't, it. To, that doesn't... I prefer it uh, It's not just because of my thing of liking any movie with Tony Stark in, but um, I prefer it infinitely to Ang Lee's Hulk. Well, but, uh, yeah, because one's a pants movie and the other one's... An awful, awful movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like a less than pants. Like a... The stuff that usually fills pants. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so um, you had the, the Abomination by Tim Roth. He was left, left hanging. You also had the leader, who was played by Tim Blake Nelson. You remember the scientist whose head got cut and the Hulk's uh, DNA goo m- fell oh. in the wound and mutated him? And, yeah. Right, that got left hanging. Oh. So there is a megalomaniacal... I've lost him to speak. A uh, supervillain with psychic powers running around in the Marvel Universe, and it's never come up. So, yeah. So someone asked Kevin Feige this week, because he's doing the press rounds all around the world for Thor Ragnarok, because that okay. opened in the US this last weekend. Oh, okay. And uh, yeah, someone asked him, are we ever going to see these villains again? He's like, yeah, we'll, we'll get to them. Well, we've got a good idea for them. We'll, we'll get to them, because Abomination's in prison somewhere. And um, that actually was in one of the shorts as well. Oh, right. In The Consultant, Agent Coulson told us that Bolonsky is in... I think he's in Antarctica, I think. So they're just Star Wars in things and explaining things in... Recent films. Well, you know what? They can afford to. I realised this past week that if anyone asks you what my favourite comic book movie is, I usually just say, The Marvel Cinematic Universe, because I can watch more or less any of them. Yeah. There's only, like, Iron Man 2 and maybe Avengers 2 that I won't re-watch, really. Thor 2. No, that's still funny enough for me to keep re-watching. Why? There's so much of it missing. Yeah, I know, but, you know, there's stuff in it I like. Also, they get the tube stops wrong. Don't, <laughs> don't I know it? Yeah. yeah, don't I know. Wouldn't it be great if that tube stop thing was actually accurate? It's not even difficult to do. Like, the tube maps everywhere. It's, it's like a... Uh, yeah, it is weird, isn't it? Doesn't it get on, like, Tottenham Court Road, and it's apparently two stops away from Greenwich or something like something that? Something like that, yeah. It's so weird, so random. It's like, mate, two stops from there is about ten yard down the road. <laughs> I'm just trying to find the full title of our first review uh, because it's it, it, it's just it's a deranged title when you translate it. Um, oh man, is it, it's not coming up. It's okay. It's called Fireworks. Should we watch it from the back or the sides? That's the title. Question mark? Or? Question mark, yes. Beautiful. Right. And this is this is the story of a group of school children. It's an anime movie. Um, story of a group of school children who are trying to figure out if uh, fireworks are round or flat, if you view them from the side. 
Uh, and yeah, and then one of these these uh, school children, well, they're teenagers, really. Uh, one of these teenagers well, that makes it worse. Wants to run away, wants to run away from home, and uh, there's a sliding door style time loop element involved, where we see different uh, versions of what would happen if she she left, and this sort of will they won't they romance she has with one of the other teens. This is not with a firework, like this yeah. Th- there are a lot of fireworks in it. I mean, credit to it, it lives up to the title. I mean, it, it's gorgeous looking because all these films are yeah you know they, they're, they're gorgeous visually you know um you get the very distinct impression that uh, th- this has been designed to cash in on remember your name have you heard of that one no. your, your name came out earlier this year and i think i saw it at the very end of last year actually and uh, it was a critical darling it was huge with film critics and right. it was like a body swap comedy okay but an anime movie that was also a rom-com and also had an asteroid hitting the Earth kind of a storyline. It sounds bizarre. They're now making a live-action version and J.J. Abrams is producing it. So I'm sure it'll be great when it's set in, it's set in Southern California. But, um, so yeah, this is, uh, this is directed by... <laughs> sorry. This is directed by Akiyuki Shimbo and Nobuyuki Takuchi. And... I will say, on the production side of it, everything is great about it. Everything works for it. The character design is terrific. The staging of it, the animation, everything about it is glorious. Um, what doesn't quite work is the script, which is, to coin your term, pants. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah, it, 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 it's a real sort of a, a hodgepodge. There's disparate elements. It loses its way so often, and... They never really. I don't think they really make enough of an of a thing out of what the actual time loopy sliding doorsy gimmick is. Okay. It's like a golden ball that you drop in a swimming pool, and yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. Look, your look says volumes. Um, if you are an anime completist, which I know you personally are not, um, <laughs> what gave that? Away? I'm not either. To be fair, I'm not really an anime guy. I've only ever seen Spirited Away, and but- I had to have counselling after that. <laughs> Well, I, actually, I really liked Arietti, which is the uh, anime adaptation of The Borrowers, which is fantastic. And All if right. you saw it in the English language dub, it had Mark Strong in it as well. Oh, cool. And uh, Sir Sharonan. But uh, really good, no matter if you saw it in English or in its original language. Um, but this is this is certainly no Your Name. Okay. No, I would definitely would not put it up on that pedestal. But uh, so, have you got another piece? Uh, another piece of the old news for me? Something to uh, to tide us along? Some more news, dear. Let's have a quick look. I, I have a feeling you're going for something that's really going to depress me as well. Um, yeah. So, oh, <laughs> yeah, reading that made me sad. Go on. So, uh, Jack Black is uh, might not be coming back for Goosebumps. Which... Right. Th- this is a thing. He might not. It's not confirmed. Right, apparently, so like trying to stop me from crying. Like I, I am trying to console you because so, I was upset as well. It's good. I love Goosebumps. It's so good. It is. This generation's Jumanji. You know, until they get a Jumanji sequel at the end of this year. Oh God, I've seen the trailer. No, I'm out. No, you out? Yeah, you out? I'm out. Apart from like The Rock's funny, but out. Yeah, The Rock's funny, and and Jack Black's doing his Goosebumpsy thing again, and Kevin Hart's doing some squeaking, and Karen Gillan's got some little shorts. So you know, it, it, they know their audience. They clearly do. Um, right. So the idea is, Sony have greenlit. A, a, a Goosebumps sequel. It's going to be called Goosebumps Horrorland. And uh, the way this is going to work is they have, they've got a release date for it. Right. And they are basically just shepherding writers into their studio to write their own scripts for this movie. And they're just going to pick the one they like the most. One of the ones they seem to quite like doesn't include Jack Black returning as R.L. Stein. 
And that's where this story has come from. So there's other scripts that do have him in that they like, but they also really like this one that doesn't have Jack Black in it. Yeah, but he was great in it. I know. And if if this were anything other than Goosebumps, I would always say it's probably better to have the one that doesn't have Jack Black in. But he's good in Goosebumps. Yeah. yeah. Let me tell you about Steve King. <laughs> I love that moment. Um, yeah, so, you know. I'm sorry, I hate to break it to you. I know it's it, it's very depressing, but uh, okay. So uh, another review then, last review then for this week. Okay. Uh, let's talk then about uh, Kaleidoscope. This is a doozy of a one. So uh, this is written and directed by Rupert Jones. It stars uh, Toby Jones. So I don't think there's a relation, don't worry. Um, so Toby Jones, who most of us, I think, outside of uh, Tinker Taylor and British TV, know as being Arnim Zola from Captain America. Yeah, yeah you know the one, yeah. Actually, such, I am Swiss. He's done such great work. But, but Captain America, yeah. <laughs> it's just weird how that works, isn't it? Yeah, it is. There's so many of these actors now that you just you pick the, the superhero one. But, and yet he was an atomic blonde like three months ago. Well, you know. That, but, uh, in fact, let me, let me just go through. Oh, he's Dobby. We forget that. He's Dobby the house elf. Oh, yeah. He is, yeah. I'm just going through um, his body of work. Oh, what, because we glossed over it and said he's in Captain America? Yeah, we glossed over it just dismissed oh, he's that guy from Captain America. Um, <laughs> but, of course, you know, the snowman. He's in the Jurassic World sequel that's coming out. He was in Dad's Army uh, last year, oh, which is a movie I, I didn't get. I think I'm not the audience for that, I don't think. Uh, films like Morgan and stuff like that he was in as well. Um, also, wasn't he in one of the uh, Alison... Uh, Alice in, Wonder- Alice in Wonderland movies. The Tim Burton ones. One of the... Ru- oh, the really... Was he the Johnny Depp rubbish one? Yeah. One? Oh, I, I, I don't know. Uh, I think he's in there somewhere. Yeah. But anyway, okay, so this stars Toby Jones. Okay. And he is... Uh, he's a man who wakes up one morning on the sofa in his council tower block in what can only be described as the most psychotic shirt you've ever seen. Please allow me to show you a picture of that shirt. Oh, wow. That's a mental shirt, isn't it? Right. He wakes up one morning in this shirt um, with with a a pain in his head that could be attributed to injury, hangover, etc. A bunch of empty booze bottles nearby, which quickly answers that question. A broken chair at the bottom of his staircase and a dead girl in his bathroom. Oh, wow. Yeah. And he has to piece together quite what happened the night before, as well as deal with an impending visit from his mother, with whom he has something of a tumultuous relationship, who's created nothing but but, uh, irritation for him over the years. And basically, his mental state and his backstory start start to become clearer and clearer as the story goes on. We have a clip. Don't you remember how happy we were? I'm looking for someone. My wife. She's here. If it sends you off somewhere, I'll come and get you. You left clues everywhere. You know you're in psychologically uh, unsafe terrain when there's a harp involved, don't you? Yeah. <laughs> it's harp equals insanity. It's That's how this works. Terrifying instrument. Um, this is tremendous. Oh, cool. It, it really is. This is it's, it's like a stripped-down, almost chamber piece take on a Hitchcock movie. There's a bit of Psycho in there, but there's a bit of Nolan's Memento in there as well, with the whole sort of disparate memory kind of an element, the, the psychological unravelling. Uh, Toby Jones owns this outright. I really liked Anne Reid. As as his mum as well, and I I was watching the film like I know her like from something, and I can't I I know her name and I know who Anne Reed is, but I can't remember what she's been in that I know, and she's Mrs Tiller from Hot Fuzz. 
Yeah, you remember? Yeah. yeah. That, that turned out to be where I knew her from. <laughs> so I'm dismissing Toby Jones as, oh, he's like, I'm from Captain America. And Anne Reed as, you know, Mrs. Tiller from, uh, from Half Us. But Half yeah. Us, though. Great film. Yeah, great movie. Yeah. Shame they couldn't make a third one that lived up, but never mind. Anyway, um, different third album. Difficult third album, man. It's the be here now of British comedies. <laughs> like that album. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. Sorry. sorry, but uh, anyway. Uh, but no, I really like this. Really, really well constructed, tightly written, tightly woven tale, really well put together, and just kind of at the centre of it all is just this amazing Toby Jones performance. It's just Toby Jones doing absolutely what he does best. You know, in films like Captain America. Yeah. And... Uh, <laughs> And, uh, yeah, absolutely fantastic. I was gripped end-to-end. I really was. Um, I found it, it was actually, it was an hour 40, and it feels like a much more substantial film as well. This feels like a whopping, you know, uh, uh, kind of a a two-and-a-half-hour prestige kind of an indie flick at times. But, uh, no, it's an hour 40. It breezes by, even though it does feel weighty. It feels meatier character piece. And uh, the twists and turns it takes, you absolutely won't see coming. And, uh, yeah. I, I really tremendously enjoyed it. Oh, great. But, yeah. So, uh, what have you got for me? One piece of news to take us to the end, then. All right, so this is my favourite, just because on your Instagram, uh, the people that liked it. Um, so, DiCaprio is going to produce something. Okay. Oh, this is the... Uh, is it Ulysses S. Grant? Yeah, and love Sherlock Holmes have liked your... <laughs> we get some weird ones yeah. on like Instagram and Twitter. Yeah, no, yeah, just... we, get, we get some really weird ones. Uh, we get a lot of T-shirt companies that like our stuff for some reason. Don't know why. Uh, it's just because, like, last exit to nowhere being awesome stuff. Maybe that's it. Um, but, you know, so, all right. So it turns out that Leonardo DiCaprio seems to have a thing about Ulysses S. Grant. Okay. Um, who was... I, I didn't realise this. Was a failed businessman and a retired soldier until he was was called into back into service during the the Civil War right. for Abraham Lincoln and became I mean he went on to become uh, president we all know that he was the general who became the president and basically he 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 won the Civil War as it were um but I didn't realise that he also had a legacy of basically standing up for the rights of black Americans ah. in a time when that really wasn't a thing, yeah. you know, except for the whole pesky Civil War thing and the KKK, unless you believe Tarantino, because he has a funny version of history. But, uh, yeah, I'm not I'm not over Django Unchained. I never will be. And, oh, do you uh, think this is DiCaprio trying to get away from the fact that he dropped... The N word so many times in, in one in, film in, in Django and Jane. That it became it absolutely. Could, I'm, I'm a good in this. Yeah, well, it's not confirmed that he'll star. He's going to produce it, but still being but attached to it, it's entirely possible he could. I mean, DiCaprio can do anything. Who do you yeah. get to be the shark from Jaws? DiCaprio, you know, it could absolutely work. But <laughs> suit the beard, he would. But uh, I'd say that's that's it for our, our podcast uh, edition then this week. Yeah. So uh, you know, that's that's the expanded extras. So hope you've got some extra bang for your buck. Yeah, and in which case, uh, here. It is your moment of cage. What are you going to do for me? What do you think I'm going to do? I'm going to save the f- day. 